I remember the first time that I was recognized, I was on 34th Street and 9th Avenue, right on the corner next to Penn Station, a bus goes by. I see, you know, all the images of all the Top Chef cast and people recognize me and I'm like, I just couldn't believe this was my life. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. I'm thrilled to have Angelo Sosa finally on the show. Angelo is one of the most talented chefs I've gotten to know over the years, and currently he's the chef of two really interesting restaurants in Phoenix, Tia Carmen and Kambara. Angelo was also the runner-up of a season of Top Chef, and has worked with some of the top names in the game, including John George, Elaine Ducasse, and Steven Starr. On this episode, we talk about Angelo's TV past and dig into his passion for Asian cuisine, including his deeply creative work with Thai, Vietnamese, and Chinese flavors and techniques at his latest opening, Kambara. I so love catching up with my friend Angelo and hope you enjoy this conversation. Angelo Sosa, welcome to This Is Taste. What's up, buddy? Matt, how are you, my old friend? It's good. We've known each other for about 15 years. It's kind of awesome to reconnect with you. Oh, most definitely. When I, when I heard your name pop up, it was just like, just brought pure joy to me. And our, our love and affinity for Asian food and culture, definitely, uh, you know, we have a connection there. Completely. And I have to give you immense credit um, for helping kick off my personal journey in Korean cuisine back in 2011 or 2012. Um, you had recommended me to help write a guidebook um, with my friend Nadia Cho. And, you know, you introduced us. And that was, I mean, listen, you are really to credit for, like, this journey I've been on. So thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're most welcome. Well, let's jump into your career. I want to, we'll definitely go and talk about Top Chef life and your your time then, season seven. Um, and we'll also talk about some of your your journey and your travels. And it, it's just a remarkable story, your time at John George as well. But I really want to start off with your new restaurant, Kambara, which I had the pleasure of, of visiting in Phoenix. And I mean, this is truly, it's a terrific, ambitious restaurant in the full full scale. And it represents your many interests in Asian cooking. And I got to spend time with your staff and talk about menu development. And it's just really a phenomenal restaurant. Um, Phoenix is not like the hotbed for cuisine in our country. Um, unfortunately, in terms of like travel, people aren't traveling there, but they should. And I think you're really creating something special. And what does this res- restaurant represent for you? Oh, wow. What a, what a loaded question. First of all, we were so in, you know enthralled to have you and, and your wife come and dine with us. It's really just a special weekend and really motivated the team and staff just to have your, just your culinary, you know, um, acumen and your language and feedback. It was just really brilliant for us. So thank you. Um, so what does this rep- restaurant represent for me? I mean, first of all, Kambara is, you know, we focus on Asian street food, right? Um, from J- from Japanese to Korean to Vietnamese to, to Thai, and then we have vignettes within that. So from, you know, focusing on, on cuisine in Chiang Mai and khao soy curry. So uh, it's really exciting. And there's such what I'm so enthralled and just amped about is that we're making everything in house from our sambals to our curry paste to our noodles to our dim sum and taking a staff that isn't necessarily familiar with this cuisine or even just hasn't even cooked this before just to bring this you know experience to the hotel and to the restaurant and to the team like for me it's about 
elevating, elevating people's lives, elevating leaderships and really doing something, you know, provocative, yeah. um, you know, in Arizona. And, and what I will say is Kambara represents, you know, I would say my past, my present and my future, you know, my past, my love for Asian cookery. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Asia, you know, um, prior to even doing research for Kambara, right? And and, and I, I really credit Jean Georges. Um, you might have heard of that that yeah. name before. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty good pretty good mentor of yours. I would say a pretty big name. Most definitely, and 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 I, I and I really just credit Jean Georges for introducing me to Asian flavors, from the ginger to the lemongrass to galanga. And little did I know, working at his flagship restaurant for almost four years in New York City, I thought I had a good grasp of Asian food, but. Little did I know my first trip to Thailand, I really knew nothing. I saw different types of coriander, you know, sawtooth coriander, laksa leaf, different types of gingers, krachai, to, you know, fresh turmeric. And little did I know, my mind was just open to all these exciting flavors. Um, and I will say this, like when I talk about the present of, of or even the past to the, the transformation of the present, I think about the, the the provocative flavors of Asian cuisine: the sweet, the sour, the salty, the bitter, the umami, the astringent, right? And I think about these flavors, but I also think about them in the context of life, right? Like you can't have the sweet without the bitter. You can't have the bitter without the sweet or the sour, right? And you know, my, my journey just hasn't been you know, clear cut and beautiful. There's been a lot of resilience, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of, yeah, um, you know, triumph and, and tribulations. But, you know, when I talk about my present and the future, it's it's just something I'm so proud to embrace essentially all of those flavors. Yeah, it's really genuine. And and when you when you sample your food, and, I, and, I, and I've been eating your food since Social Eats in New York City um, and Anejo and, and some of your restaurants that you were opening here, and they always had a similar um, mindset, which was extreme, like, soigné, like, really precise execution, mm -hmm. uh, creativity mm -hmm. at the highest level, and also just a playfulness. Um, let me mm -hmm. ask you about Spice Market. You opened Spice Market with John George, which is a really like fundamental restaurant, foundational restaurant in New York City. Back in the mm -hmm. day, you know, this was a restaurant that brought these these flavors of Thailand and flavors of, of Vietnam to mm -hmm. the downtown crowd. John George is definitely somebody to to um, to acknowledge. You also worked at Budokan, and we'll get into that. But what was that like, like working under John George and opening this iconic? restaurant oh my gosh i mean matt to this day it's probably and i generally mean this i probably think about working with jean georges at least i'm not exaggerating at least once a day whether i'm dreaming about my experience whether i'm thinking about it whether i'm thinking about his mantras of you know their simplicity and excellence i would say jean georges has the most profound effect on my on my life and my career and just to work under his tutelage. I mean, when what was beautiful, because I started at the flagship restaurant on Columbus Circle, what was beautiful when you thought that you were reaching your breaking point, little did you know <laughs> that <laughs> he always found a way, him and his team, uh, I credit his his chef de cuisine at the time, Greg Brainin, they really just pushed you to the next level um, to the point of you just didn't even recognize yourself. So to be under that tutelage and in that environment, it, it just breeds you for the opportunity to get to the next level of your career. So I, I was just totally enthralled and honored and privileged to work under um, mm. under Chef. What were some opening dishes at Spice Market that come to mind when you're thinking about think like taking these um, dishes that were created in Thailand and Vietnam that were very mm -hmm. historical, but then having yeah. to reframe them in some way for a downtown 
and and fine dining. And remember, this is a a long time ago. It's like fifteen years ago, right? And this is a time right. when. Asian food didn't have the the voice that it does today yeah. on the national scale. Yeah. I think we've really, thankfully, have yeah. evolved. And there's Asian chefs and Asian American chefs who are at the highest level. Sure. The James Beard Award was won by the team at Atomics, which is an incredible restaurant. They won the sure. highest award in New York, but it was different then. So that that context is important. So what were some of the the dishes that you were doing then? Yeah, but let, let, me, let me just even start here. You're absolutely right. I, I feel like even today, Spice Market was one of the most iconic restaurants that I personally could think of because it's not like it was just Korean or just Japanese or just Chinese. It was a conglomerate of Thai, Vietnamese, Indian, a little Burmese, right? It was all this whole melange or panache of different cultures and cuisines in one place. And I think that was just and still is kind of revolutionary, right? And when I think about those iconic dishes and my mouth is literally like salivating <laughs> right now, if you can see me, mm-hmm. but the the spicy chicken wings, right? Served with this beautiful sliced mango that was typically chilled on the side. So you have these fiery wings that are just so, you know, <laughs> spicy, but they were like, I use the word like voluptuous. They yeah. just had so much dynamic. And then you cool your palate with these beautiful chilled mangoes. It was just magical. And then you had dishes like the sashimi of tuna served in this coconut broth. So it was, you know, a little spicy, a little fresh, a little, um, you know, it was just all this, you know, I just credit Jean-Georges for just being so dimensional and so dynamic and so innovative in all that he does. And so we kick it back to Kambara and we're getting some of the this instinct. We're getting, you know, Malaysian fried rice with lime leaf and and, and baby anchovies. We're getting chili crab. We're getting beef rendang with wagyu. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting this, mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite dishes I tried. You sent some dishes. There's a lot. But this was the one, the tuna Thai jewel, which is, mm-hmm. you know, sashimi of tuna mm-hmm. in a lemongrass mm-hmm. Uh, broth that's chilled with kiwi and mm. uh, along the same lines of what you're saying about what you were you know with those hot wings it was definitely a refreshing element an unexpected cooling element i love it and it was mm-hmm. served table side you know poured over uh and there's a level of presentation which i love and and certainly you know listeners of our show we don't see this a lot you know it's particularly mm. in new york city i don't see this cooking a lot um auto mm. mix comes to mind that's definitely one of the places that does those table side tricks which are part of a higher level of dining. And I just loved seeing it there at Kambara. Mm, mm. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And when we talk about the innovation of dishes and the creation of dishes, and this is really where I spend a lot of time. So in creating the tuna dish, you know, first and foremost, I, I, I traveled throughout specifically for Kambara, I traveled, you know, to Japan, to Chiang Mai, to Penang, to Kuala Lumpur, to Malacca, to Singapore, right? And I was just tasting and taking in information. So the conception of this dish was, right, because I want to do something innovative and creative. So I was thinking a lot about the Thai imperial cuisine of the king and the queen and how, you know, ornate they dressed and opulent they dressed. And I thought about their jewelry and I thought about this dish of a Thai jewel. So when you go to Thailand, they typically have just coconut shaved ice with coconut milk. And then they have tapioca fruits and vegetables. And I was like, okay, how could I take the conception of this idea and make it a little bit more whimsical, add tuna with it. Then we add kiwi, Asian pear, shiso, Thai basil, and then pour with this beautiful Japanese style you know, uh, iron tea kettle table side with this beautiful fragrant lemongrass and galangal broth and it bring this beautiful visual and textural experience. 
to the guest. Angela, I love that so much, the way that you talk about the precision and the thought that goes into it. And what's unique mm-hmm. about Kambara and just your style of cooking, and I think this goes back to your time cooking in northern Spain, um, you are a test kitchen-driven chef, which is cool. And to be mm-hmm. clear, I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, you aren't necessarily in the kitchen with all of your staff all the time. You're in a lab, essentially, creating recipes and and really like coming up with the concept and the recipe to the gram on your own. And then eventually you bring it to a staff, you staff up and then you train, 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 train. Mm-hmm. This is like a Mugaritz model, which I know you've worked mm-hmm. at. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this is definitely um, something to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting, right? And I feel like you know seeds were planted back in the JG days, right? Yeah. Um, of menu development, right? A dish probably didn't go on the menu for about three. You know, it had to go through a process of I'm just you know approximately three months. But what we do is one first and foremost we travel. My business partner and I travel. We you know as I said for Kambar, we specifically went to all of those countries that I mentioned. Pen, you know, we went to Penang. Kuala Lumpur, Malacca, Chiang Mai, and we do deep, deep, deep dives into the food. So when we're in Chiang Mai, we literally had over 20 different versions of cow soy so that we could really understand what makes cow soy cow soy, what are the stories behind cow soy. And then I come back to the States, I go into a test kitchen uh, here in San Diego. So this process for Kambara was about three months. And we just start with what are some concepts, like a concept, right? So a concept could be a Thai jewel, right? So what what makes a Thai jewel a Thai jewel? Or what makes a satay a satay? Like what are the key ingredients? And then how do we add thoughtfulness? How do we add innovation? And how do we be intentional where the guests, it's familiar to them, but it's also something that could be new, Mm -hmm. right? So it goes through this process. So then we create the dish. A lot of these dishes will make anywhere from three to seven times (laughs) Um, to really think about it because we also have to think about during the conception stage and the R&D stage, we have to think about it in production. So if one dish takes 30 minutes to plate, is that a practical dish to have on a menu that we're doing Hmm. high volume? I mean, is it sometimes the case? Can you spend 30 minutes on plating? Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> well, a g- g- great example is the dish that we're talking about is the tuna yeah. Thai jewel. I mean, I would say without looking at the recipe right now, there's probably over only on the pickup itself, yeah. there's 15 touches, right? Yeah. So there's things that we, I would say, mitigate that, you know, will, for example, instead of plating each herb, if I was in a three Michelin star restaurant, I'd plate each herb you know, by itself, but now we combine the herbs. So we, we, we essentially find ways to, without compromising the integrity of the dish and the ingredients, how do we minimize steps? Man, there's so many cool, I love the Malaysian uh, fish and curry, which, Ooh. you know, I think seeing that in the context of, of a JW Marriott, which has a great golf course, which has, you know, it's definitely not the place you're typically going to find a fish and curry, but when you eat it, you're like, wow, this takes me to this place that's far away from here. It's delicious. It's it's precise. Um, I mean, I love that dish so much. I think fish offal is the greatest thing. Fish cheeks. You get a little bit of mm. like fish brain in there, a little eyeball. I mean, it's like deep, intense mm. flavors. How are you thinking about serving that to like, you know, an audience of, of foodies and people who are love cuisine? But then, you know, you got people come there for a convention or sure. a golf golf outing. How do you split that difference? Sure, sure, sure. I, I, I love the question. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I think t- t- two things here. So we are going to have those fish curry dishes, right? M- maybe might come across as, you know, 
you know, I don't think it's going to be top of our pig mix of sellers. But what I do think that's very important to me is the, the level of staying in integrity and staying within the vision of the concept and not compromising that integrity. Because at the end of the day, you know, if somebody's really not into fish head curry and they want a chicken satay, they're going to have their chicken satay. And what I think is if they love that chicken satay or they love our dim sum, I believe there's a relationship that's being, you know, um, th there's a connection. There's a level of trust being, um, you know, coming to life. And then that's when I could easily walk over and I'd be like, hey, would you mind trying this? And maybe I don't present the fish head in itself, but I'll take a little bit of the broth and I'll let a guest taste it. Yeah. So sometimes it is for people, but sometimes it's not. But that's OK, because there's a dish for everybody. I love it. Okay, this is the top chef portion of our interview. We're going to talk, okay. we're going to go there. And you are uh, an alum of Top Chef. You were on season seven way back. Mm -hmm. You were a runner up, man. You like almost won that shit. You were very close to winning it. I'm sure at the time you were bummed, but now you're, mm -hmm. you're doing so many cool things. My first question is how did you get on the show? And how was mm. the audition? You know, I have Dale Taldale linked to that episode in the show notes. He talked about his audition when he was working at Budokan. How, what was your audition like? Oh my gosh, you're bringing up. I got to go back, 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 back <laughs> into my memory bank. Thank you so much <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for rehashing these let's memories. Go there. So, so at this point in my career, I couldn't even tell you a year, to be honest with you. So this was season seven. So I, just for the record, I did season seven, season eight, and I believe 17. So yeah. I, I did the, the trilogy of the <laughs> Top Chef experience, right? <laughs> um, so at this point in my career, I had, you know, left Jean-Georges. I'd worked for Jean-Georges uh, for about four years. I spent some time with Alain Ducasse in Monaco and, and in Paris and, you know, was very blessed to stage in Spain at some really good, good, good restaurants, right? So Top Chef, in fact, reached out to me. Their casting crew reached out to me and I was just like, okay, hey, you know, I'm not really sure this makes sense, you know, with my you know, kind of my trajectory. Um, you know, I really think I kind of want to go down this avenue of like exploring more of the Michelin star. And I'm not sure being on a reality TV, because at that point in time, reality television was kind of was somewhat new. Right. Yeah. So I kind of was very hesitant, to be honest with you. I, I give credit to, uh, you know, Magical Elves and Top Chefs. They were very persistent, I'll just say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and eventually, I think the competitive side of me was like, OK, like, hey, this does sound like an amazing amazing opportunity imagine you know you you know D dale talday you mentioned dale talday like imagine cooking with dale talday imagine cooking with tiffany dairy imagine cooking with carla hall to list some of my favorite people right like mm -hmm. what an honor like it's almost like going to like mit or harvard or stanford for continuing education so i was like okay yeah i'm all in at this point in time mm. did they make you do anything in particular um in an audition setting did they put you into a quick quick fire oh no um <laughs> Okay, here, this was my audition, right? Okay, I'm going to try to bullet this pretty quickly because I don't want to take an hour of your time. So uh, at this point, they flew me out to LA. And previously to this, I did a Tony Robbins, um, you know, a, an event, right? So I had like all my mantras down. So they're like, okay, Angela, we're going we're gonna to come tomorrow morning. You know, they, they obviously lock you in the hotel room, which you can't get out. I mean, I'm sure you can. Um, but they're like, we're going to come tomorrow at 11 o'clock. So around 10, 1030, 1015, I'm like, I got into my like Tony Robbins state of <laughs> mind. I'm doing pushups. I'm doing sit-ups. I walk into the, to the bathroom and I'm like pumping on my chest. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. 11 o'clock rolls around. Nobody shows up. I'm like, okay, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. Stay focused. State of mind. Everything's state of mind. 1130 passes around. Okay. Go back <laughs> to the mirror. You can do this. You can do this. 
Anyways, I'm waiting. Essentially, four hours later at this point in time, I'm on the couch just chilling out watching TV. I think it was like Judge Judy. And I'm just like, okay, they're not coming. When they knocked on the door, finally, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, can you give me 10 minutes? They're like, sure. Okay. Anyway, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit. They bring us into this room. It takes about 20 minutes to get there. Right? You have to go through all these, jump through all these little hoops. I don't have my glasses on. I can't see. But all I see is about 15 to 20 people against a back room. The room is gigantic. I see a camera in the middle of the room with a chair, right? And a bottle of water. Okay, so I run in. I high five everybody. I don't even know what the heck comes over me. I sit on the chair and I knew this was going to be the first question. And they're like, so why do you want to be on TV? So yeah, granted, Matt, I could barely see them. Okay, I'm like nervous. All the Tony Robbins like mantras are out of my head. And I get up and, and I just and I just start talking and I'm like, well, you know, my voice is like really high pitch and it starts cracking. I'm like, OK, this is not going well. So I literally stand up. I don't know what came over me. I stand up. I grab the bottle of water. I drink the bottle of water like I just ran like a 10K. It's like going everywhere. Like I'm totally drenched in it. I don't know what came over me. I took the chair. I flung the chair to the wall and I said, excuse me. What was the question? And I just got right back to that state of mind. And after that, I think it was a wrap. So, Angela, you get on the show. You clearly are your cast. But you're not like one of these competitors. And I listen, I haven't gone back and watched the episodes, but I remember it. You weren't one of these competitors who was going to go down, go down quiet. You seemed, from my memory, and please correct me, but you were super competitive. Like, you were definitely there to win and let me ask you, did you know that you had this like killer instinct to win when you went and started doing the show? <laughs> so, are you saying I was a sniper? Is that what you're I saying? I mean, you weren't like a heel villain, but I think you probably were framed slightly as a heel villain at some point during the show, if I remember. Well, l- let me let me put it this way, Matt. I'm not sure if it's my Dominican side and, you know, I'm Dominican and, and, and let's use the analogy, right? Like I I, I played baseball my whole career, so I, I naturally competed. Um, this is what I will say is on that platform of being on main stage in the kitchen, like I felt like I was just dreaming in real time and to com- be competing with the Tiffany Darius, the Kevin Spragas, the Dale Taldays, the Carla Halls, you know, like all those amazing chefs that I love and adore, they bring out the best in you. So I don't know if I just consciously was aware of that. I was just like really focused in the moment. I almost was like on such a high that I was just so privileged to be there and competing. I think the actually the other chefs, in fact, brought the best out of me. Yeah, yeah. Back then, too, like just listener, this is no diss about the current chefs on the show. And listen, this show is as rated highly as now that it was back then. So more people love it. But back when you were doing it, they were recruiting from only the finest restaurants. Like literally, it had to be Budokan, John George, um, Per Se, Spago. Mm -hmm. It was like really high end restaurants and really, 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 really technical chefs. And it's changed Mm -hmm. slightly. I feel. Um, you guys clearly were there to to really compete at the highest level, and the cuisine was really high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, m- most definitely. I mean, you know, like you know, you know, I competed against Richard Blaze, like just just to like even like. That's why sometimes I would just like race and work really effectively and really quick is because I wanted to like pause and observe and like take in the and be that sponge. Mm-hmm. I mean. To be honest with you, Matt, it was like rising tides to be with the Richard Blazes of the world, the Tiffany Darius, the Dale Todd days. It was like I was just it was like continuing education. 
So you end up getting second place, and that's like really nice. I mean, just, you didn't win, but man, you're like getting media. You're you're doing all sorts of things. What's life like after Top Chef? I mean, I've spoken. I know several cast members from different years, and the the, the variance of experiences is really really interesting. Some folks kind of flame out. Some folks can become like per- professional chefs. Some go into the private world. But you know, mm-hmm. it must have been filled with like some super highs, but also some downs too. It's just like hard to come down from that. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's a deep question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, and you're honest too. I appreciate you're you're honest about this stuff. Like, and that's really interesting because I talk about like my living legacy, and living legacy for me is also being transparent. Because if I could offer some sort of insight that supports somebody young and up and coming, or just going through anything in life, I think that's important to impart wisdom to them. Um, but getting back to Top Chef, you know, I, you know, Matt, h- here's the deal. I grew up in a town, uh, you know, in Durham, Connecticut, um, a farming town, grew up next to cornfields, chi- you know, chicken farms. We'd have milk delivered to our doors. So my town was a 5,000 people. I grew up in a very humble town, like to be on the main stage. And I remember the first time that I was recognized, I was on 34th Street and 9th Avenue, right on the corner next to Penn Station. A bus goes by. I see the Top Chef you know, all the images of all the Top Chef cast and people recognize me. And I'm like looking at the bus, looking at the people, they're looking at me, they're looking at the bus. It was this exchange. And I was just like, um, I was overtaken with this sense of just humility. And I just couldn't believe this was my life. Um, So being recognized and coming from a small town was just kind of like overwhelming for me. It was a blessing, but it was an overwhelming, it was very overwhelming. And for me, it was very simple. Like, People don't need to recognize me. They don't need to, um, you know, support my journey or whatever. And they do. So for me, like each and every single person, if I had the time to sign an autograph or take a picture, you know, I definitely did because I thought it was a blessing. So, Angela, let's talk about the future. It's super exciting. You know, I love that you're running uh, Tia Carmen at the JW Marriott Desert Ridge. You know, mm-hmm. this is a restaurant that is very personal to you. And it sounds like you're going to open up some more uh, concepts like that. I know Palm Springs is in the horizon, which is one of my favorite cities. I just like to get a sense of what your future holds. Yeah, I, I'm super excited about uh, my relationship with the JW Marriott in Phoenix. We have Tia Carmen. Tia Carmen really was my, well, she's my Dominican Tia. She passed about 30 years ago. And she's really the reason why I'm cooking. You know, I grew up in a very kind of disruptive, turbulent home, very militant home. Um, And my Tia Carmen, on the flip side, showed me the passion, the love, the power that food could transform pain into love. So as a nine-year-old boy, I knew exactly, you know, I wanted to be cooking the rest of my life if this is what love looks like from just watching her cook and just just the amazing energy and frequency that it really um, you know brought to people's lives. So um, yeah, moving forward, we have two beautiful projects in the Indian Wells or Coachella Valley um, area. We're opening up another Tia Carmen and we're opening up a sister restaurant called Carmucha, which essentially is Tia Carmen's nickname because she was Mucha, mucho, uh, mucha. She was just so loving and so vivacious, and she always wanted to bring, you know, connect people and bring people into her home. So, you know, honoring her namesake, we're opening a global tapas restaurant called Carmucha. It's cool. I love the way that you you think about local uh, ingredients, um, which is a cliche at this point, but you really do think about it creatively when you're going back to your test kitchen in San Diego. You know, the the restaurant uh, T Carmen in, in Phoenix was using a lot of um, you know Sonoran products and local products. Mm-hmm. You're going to do mm-hmm. the same in Palm Springs, it sounds like. And I guess the locavore element to these two restaurants is important to you. 
I, I mean, yeah, the localization's really critical and really important to me because behind, you know, not to sound cliche, but behind the ingredient is the people behind the people are the stories behind, you know, the stories is the community. So for me to weave, you know, to weave all of those stories and all of the, um, to knit essentially this tapestry is very important. Um, you know, I want to be the conduit. I want to be the the conduit of their voices and their stories, uh, and bring their stories to life by their by the ingredients. Right. Wonderful, Angelo. And this is taste. We ask us about their certain taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? Let's do it, Matt. The best breakfast food. Oh Lord. Okay, this one's pretty easy, especially just being in Asia not too long ago. I would say put yourself in Penang. You have roti kanai, specifically mutton roti kanai with a fried egg on top. Mm. So agree on that one. Wow. <laughs> now this is a hard one. Hard one too. The best dessert. Oh Lord. Okay. This one's actually easy for me. Um, best dessert. I was in Tokyo. First meal that I had in Tokyo, the um, the emperor's chef cooked for me a, a tasting. And for the dessert, um, he took a Japanese-shaped ice machine. He had strawberries that were frozen in fresh-made tofu. This was all frozen and shaved it. And I felt I literally was in strawberry heaven oh my goodness oh strawberries there oh so perfect right yeah I, it is it is definitely something that it's uh, buried the lead about strawberries in japan your favorite cookbook of all time oh lord this is really tough um you know I, i'm not sure if it's because of my you know with kambara and just my head is there right now but i would say you know any books from david thompson uh, he has a PhD in Thai gastronomy. I just love his approach. I love the 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 information uh, and the deep dive into like yeah the, more the intellectual side and and obviously the recipes are are gorgeous. So I would say David Thompson. Uh, I think the book is Asian Street Food would be my number Great one book. Real classic. Your favorite recent cookbook discovery? Ooh, okay. I have an obsession here. Um, and that's with African food. Like really, I have a, a serious addiction here. So I have this beautiful cookbook. Um, uh, so my friend actually, maybe, you know, her dad, Dawn Padmore sent me some Nigerian food about a year and a half ago in Phoenix from New York. And I just fell in love with it. So this book is called my everyday Lagos. Yeah. Um, it just came out. I have, I will be honest. I mean, the book is the, the cover is so stunning. It's so approachable. I haven't dived in deep into the recipes, but I'm so excited to get into this. Um, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it, but the steam grated cassava. It's almost like a tamale. Mm -hmm. um, it looks just magical. So I'm it's so great. excited. You went to Kamalafe. It's an it's an amazing book, and uh, I'm so glad that you've been exposed to that. And I'm sure the way you ingest information, the way you think about recipes, it's mm -hmm. cool that you're going to embrace it and learn some stuff there. I love that book so much. Good call. Super. Your favorite city outside America to visit for food? Oof. The, the, um, does Mexico City count? Do you consider America? <laughs> One hundred percent. No, it does. You no, know, that's a great. Why? Why do you love Mexico City so much? <laughs> why do I love Mexico city so much? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, oh my God. First of all, the city's gorgeous. There's so much history. Um, there's so much food history. It's, it's just exciting. Right. Um, I love going to this restaurant. I love going to the markets, but I love going to this restaurant called Quintonil. 
Um, I believe they're on San Pellegrino's list. I think it's just yeah. super phenomenal. And if you're going to go, please sit at the chef's counter. Um, just watching them cook is just, I mean, you almost forget to eat. It's so, it's so engaging. But yeah, Queen's um, Mexico been- City. Queen Tanili has been a, a a real interest of mine since I've 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 I observed the food online on like a YouTube uh, several years okay. ago. It's 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 a good call. Well, maybe we'll go together. It'd be fun. I we know should you we should been. yeah we should hang in Mexico City. It'd be a, it'd be a good. Trip. Oh my god! Couple more. This is uh I feel like this could be a lot of answers, but the, a cuisine you you would like to learn more about. Interesting. Interesting. Um, well, I, I'm gonna say two. In fact. Um, I mean, one Middle Eastern, right? I, I love and I really gravitate towards, and we had this conversation in, in, in Phoenix, right? I, I think the element of freshness and, and, and the pure source of the ingredient really speaks to me. Um, but I love this. I love like sumac. I love Aleppo pepper. Um, I really want to dive much deeper into understanding. I mean, I think I know, but I w- I'm sure there's better ways of how to work with meats and kebabs and balancing all these different flavors. I would really like to dive deeper. And I would also like say African. Um, they use a plethora of spices and I really want to do-, do a deeper dive. Um, and, and more so even more the vegetarian and vegan cooking of African. Is there a, is there a country or region of Africa? I'd like to like get a sense of Ooh, that because I'm going to follow um, up. I love, I'd love to hear more about that. The two would be, I mean, I'm going to go right for Niger- Nigerian cooking. And then I would see like, you know, cuisine from Mozambique mm-hmm. um, would really get me, um, get me really excited. Last one, your favorite sandwich. Oh, this one's kind of simple. I, I'm going to be a simpleton here. Yeah. Just a, a beautiful pastrami cured properly, salted properly, spiced properly with the most amazing pickle. Mm. Just keep it simple. Full sour, half sour. What's a good pickle Ooh. to you? Ooh, I mean, if I'm gonna eat it with a pastrami, then I want full sour. Agree. Um, I just need that co- that contrast, and I think mustard's super important here. Yeah. So, um, I want to get that, yeah, kind of that astringency of the mustard. Mm. Angel Sosa, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for joining. This is Taste. You welcome, Matt. Thank you so much. Hey, Matt. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm great. This is good. Well, we're, we're, keeping this take. we're keeping this take. We're keeping this take. <laughs> I, I think uh, I'm great. We we are catching up. It's nice to see you, Eliza. It's nice to see you. We're catching up. I want to hear all about your trip to Phoenix because I've never been there before. You've never been to Phoenix, really? No. What is What is the state for Arizona? It's not the Sunshine State. It's the <laughs> the John McCain State. I don't know. Oh, God. The Snowbird State. The Snowbird State. Is that what it's called? No. Listen, Arizona is um maybe for me. I I I think of a lot of things with Arizona. Um I, I have heard there's natural beauty, you know, up in Tucson and there's 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 deserts. There's it's it's a really uh beautiful, unique state. The uh, Grand Canyon State. The Grand Canyon State. I'm glad you checked that out. Um I I definitely had not been there ever. Um and I went there in December. And as you just heard from Angelo Sosa, um I had a great meal at his restaurants and love Angelo. He's a he's a Really talented guy, and and I I just wanted to talk to you about some discoveries I had in Phoenix. Yeah, I would love to hear about the kind of food that's around there. 
it's a sprawly place. It's like the fourth or fifth largest city in America. Um, I think that like some of the the neighborhoods, like I went out to Mesa and let me just kick it off there. I, mean, I have a couple of places I wanted to call out. We were there for a couple of days and um, weather was great. And I just got to get to really eat a lot of the food. But, you know, of course, so close to Mexico, the Mexican food is, is tremendous. And I got some pretty cool regional food. So out in Mesa, um, I went to Unos Tacos Ibidia, which is a place that does bidia which I think is one of our shared favorite foods. It is. I actually really just, I had a good uh, bidia empanada recently, yeah. but that's neither here nor, neither here. I, nor I would here. love to try that. But um, here, you know, strip mall, um, bidia, queso tacos, uh, you can get consomme by like the court. Mm. Really nice stuff. And like Mesa is, you know, there's a large Mexican American population there. And um, the food, I only got to go to one place, but I, I had a list of places in Mesa and I wanted to explore. So in Phoenix, you know, there's uh, there's a multitude of, of, of styles of cuisine. You know, Mexican-American population is massive there. I mean, Mesa is a Mexican-American town and I only got to go to one place, but I, I would love to spend two days or three days and explore that. And, you know, near like ASU, it has another vibe and, and, and Tempe. And I think it's an interesting um, community of, of retirees and snowbirds in the winter and obviously... Uh, pe- like long living Arizonans and, and really, um, a lot of people who love to play golf. Did you play golf when you were there? I love golf. I did not play any golf, but I went to a son's game. That was cool. And you ate obviously. So another restaurant, um, tacos Chihuahuas, which was a Chihuahuan style taqueria. And I hit up Jose a lot as I tend to do when I'm traveling for his picks. And he gave me this right away. And I was not disappointed. I had an amazing beef cheek barbacoa and, I really like their signature choc- uh, tacos chihuahuas, which is uh, loaded with carne asada, ham, hatch chili, jalapeno, and has this queso asadero spicy sauce. Um, Chihuahuan cuisine, I still am trying to figure out what exactly it is, but I had some great tacos. Love that place. Mm-hmm. Um, another place I thought was good. Um, well, I'm going to take a little break from the restaurants and give a really, really healthy shout out to Monsoon Market. Does that name ring a bell to you at all? No. Is it like a natural food store? That's what I would think based on the name. Definitely. Kind of. I mean, it is a now, in my brain, legendary uh, food shop, wine shop. I'd also say it has a shoppy shop vibe. (laughs) Also, there was a cool dog there, which gives it lots of points in my book. Um, I just loved uh, hanging out there. And and I saw there was a cooler of, of like locally made ice cream sandwiches, really well merchandised. And I thought that... For a bottle shop to size, like with the footprint that wasn't that large, they had a lot of really interesting things happening in the space. And I've connected with them on Instagram and um, Two Women Run It. And I really just love uh, what they're doing there. That's cool. It's good to know that the natural wine movement has made its way everywhere. Absolutely. It is. Um, I think like you look at um, the the shops around the world of the country, like these specialty food stores. And I think Monsoon has like a really keen eye on what's happening in in like, you know, consumer products and and cool young founders. And I saw a lot of brands I recognize there. That's cool. So it's more of like a new school shop, shoppy shop. Sometimes Monsoon Market is a name I'm picturing like an OG 1960s health foods bulk bin totally, store. Totally, you know? totally, totally. Like, like you think of it as like an old style place, but definitely no more modern, but also like a little bit of like punk rock feeling and, and like handwritten signs and like real curation. And again, a dog. How can you can go wrong with a that? shop dog immediately over the top? I love shop that. Shop dog. Um, 
so yeah, those are those are all highlights. I think ultimately, and I mentioned this in the interview with Angelo, my my favorite meal in, in Phoenix was was by far Kimbara, which is Angelo's restaurant at Jadu Marriott Desert Ridge. And, you know, Angelo, and I contextualize this in the interview, but he is truly one of the most talented chefs I know, has a real scholarly attitude about f- the foods of of Asia, specifically Southeast Asia. He spent a lot of time in, in Vietnam and in Malaysia and in Indonesia. He spent time traveling and studying, and I got to hang out with his staff and get to know him a little bit better uh, through the food of Kambara. But man, remember that, and it's a really good spot. Yeah, did you have a highlight from the meal? I had many highlights. Um, he's doing like a blend, as I mentioned, of South and East Asian, Southeast Asian and East Asian uh, dishes. And I have to say, um, man, what is a highlight? He did raw tuna in a broth of lemongrass ginger that was chilled with kiwi, jicama, Thai basil. And, you know, it had a real, I mean, this is a Thai. This is all a Thai dish. And it, and it felt like the way he did the pearls of raw tuna, really um, outstanding presentation. I thought, you know, he's the kind of guy who really, really, conceptualizes dishes outside of his restaurant and then brings them back and then executes them with his staff. It's a real John George kind of method, which is where he worked and trained under. He was the opening chef, one of the opening chefs at Spice Market down in the meatpacking district. Um, Lamb spring rolls with coriander and crema. I mean, come on. Mm, Like a a fried spring roll? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, He had cow soy that I thought is as good as any I've ever had. Um, Malaysian crab fried rice, a Thai fish head curry, um, a Wagyu rendang. I mean, it's like really ambitious. And honestly, I hope the Phoenix population knows what they have um, because it's really a tremendous restaurant and Angela's one of our top talents. So that really capped the whole visit to Phoenix. Um, And I hope to go through there maybe on my book tour next year. Um, I loved it. I thought it was a great trip. Well, I'm so glad you had a good time and now I have a list of places to go. Yeah, I hope you can go there. I appreciate it. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.